and welcome to the Deerland Podcast. It's episode number one. I'm your host, Mike Bowley. I'm joined in studio today by Mr. Louis Zinn and Tyler Sellins. We got a great episode for you. We thank you for listening. We hope you'll stick around and hear what all we have to talk about. How you guys doing this evening? Good, Mike. How are good, you? Good, good. Well, glad to finally get this thing up and going. It's been a long time in the making, but here we are. We are recording. So, as we said, this is episode number one. Um, we hope uh, to bring you some great content about hunting, the outdoors, land management. It'll be a lot of deer hunting, white tails, but we're also going to talk about some turkey hunting when it's time to turkey hunt. We'll talk about some squirrel hunting, some rabbit hunting, a little bit of everything. So um, we've got a lot of great ideas. We've got a lot of stuff we want to talk about. So uh, we figured this is the best way to uh, put it down and let everyone else hear what we have to say. So um, Squirrel land. Squirrel land, yeah. That, was, uh, that, that could have been. When it comes January, I will be out squirrel hunting. <laughs> and uh, – <laughs> Especially, you know, these last few days I've been hunting inside the timber and, you know, the hardwood timber with all these acorns dropping. And I cannot believe the amount of squirrels. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, last couple of years, as we talked about before uh, we went on the air, uh, did a lot of blind hunting. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the blind, you don't f- even realize there's any squirrels to be had. Right. But when you get hanging from a tree, you find out there's a lot of squirrels out there. And uh, luckily, they haven't really fooled me for deer quite yet. But uh, they make a lot of commotion. They do a lot of movement. And I'll tell you, I was at the NRCS office today um, getting signed up for some, some programs and talking to the conservationist. I about brought it up. We were talking about squirrels. And she says, you know, we have some flying squirrels around here. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be darned if yesterday when I was hunting, I'm sitting there and I'm looking straight ahead and, you know, these squirrels, a couple gray squirrels running around. And I thought I was seeing something. I looked out, and all of a sudden, I see the squirrel fly from a tree to a tree. And I'm like, how did that happen? Who knows? I I just didn't know. Um, apparently, we have some small. I very guess they're small. small and gray. Yeah, they're very not small. very big. And uh, they've got, uh, you know, kind of webbed, <laughs> webbed legs. Yeah, so, they're unique. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, so uh, let's start off, and uh, we'll introduce ourselves. We'll start off with uh, – Mr. Tyler Sallins, you're the first one to my left. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do for a living. Um. Myself, well, let's see. I was uh, born and raised right here in Hancock County. Um, you know, grew up, kind of knew somewhat who some of you guys were. Um, hunting, fishing, it's been in my in my life. Um, dad. Dad raised me, you know, in the outdoors, fishing, hunting. I remember uh, going along as a little kid, probably when I was five or six years old, old enough to get out and, and uh, sit still for long enough for a deer to come in. Um, you know, that's kind of where I really got my, my start in the outdoors and and uh, was through my dad. And, and uh, so it's been with me for a long time. Um, I've been fortunate enough to... Uh, you know, go down a, a few different paths in life and have uh, now wind up um, or wound up uh, working for Whitetail Properties as a land specialist here in western Illinois. So I, uh, on a lot of days, several days a week, I have an opportunity to get out and look at a lot of different properties and, and uh, you know, whether it's it's showing a, a buyer or, or uh, looking looking at a farm for a seller. Um, so really get a, a good opportunity to get out and, and just look at a lot of great habitat and see what a lot of other people are doing too you know see what works see what uh 
maybe doesn't work. I learn something new probably every single day from from a lot of different people. So, and and you've got a little bit of an education kind of your college education kind of revolves around a little bit of this as well, doesn't it? I do. Uh, I went to the University of Missouri. Um, graduated in '06. I uh, had majored in uh, fisheries and wildlife uh, biology. So, um, just kind of my it's always been in my heart and soul the outdoors so that's been my uh my focus in life and found a a career path that's allowed me to you know take a lot of what i've learned in life and apply it to you know helping other people um you know maybe a roundabout way i mean i've been probably not the way i thought i was going to apply it but uh you know through the land sales and uh and doing what i'm doing whether it's food plots or wildlife or, or you know habitat management um you know it's really I enjoy it. I don't feel like I go to work. Good. Yeah, and that's what we all kind of shoot for. Um, You know, I guess it would be safe to say, essentially, your entire working career in one way or another has revolved somewhat around land or property, Um, you know, with your prior job and, you know, your prior business. Um, You know, you've always kind of been around sales, whether it be working for the auction house or, you know, doing some outfitting. Um, you know, you've always just kind of been close to the outdoors, land, hunting, fishing. Um, and I think that just kind of goes to show a little bit about who you are. I mean, that's, that's just what you're passionate about and what you want to do for a living and for uh, a hobby. So hundred percent. Um, yeah. So we're happy to have you aboard. Um, and what about you, Mr. Zen? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, it's good to be here, Mike. Thanks for the invite. And, uh, I grew up right here as well in Hancock County, Illinois, and uh, knew both you guys, um, you know, not real close friends, but always knew of you guys, and um, it's not till here in the last two, three years that we've got really close. The reason I'm uh, really close with Tyler is because I actually just bought a property from Tyler three years ago, um, not too far from uh, the farm I grew up on, so that was pretty special, and Tyler and I have become really good friends and and then you Mike uh you know we've known each other for a long long time we've become pretty good friends here in the last three or four years just because we both share that passion for uh just being being outside and 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 owning a piece of land and and trying to make it as good as we can for deer and you know we were joking around about squirrels earlier but you know I never thought I would care about uh, the habitat of a squirrel, a butterfly, a deer, a turkey, a rabbit, as much as I do now. I mean, it's it's come full circle. But I grew up here in Hancock County, uh, grew up on a farm. Um, my dad was a farmer. My grandpa was a farmer. You know, for a hundred years we've we've had um, we've we've had farms, but um, grew up hunting at an early age. It was mostly uh, bird hunting to be honest with you my dad was a quail hunter and uh back when there used to be pheasant around here he'd, he'd hunt pheasant and he'd do the um he'd always have a good bird dog and was never really into deer uh until i got to about 15 or 16 and then i kind of took on an interest uh, for deer hunting because a lot of my buddies were doing it and you know my dad would go with me uh because he saw that i was excited about something so i I think I shot my first year when I was maybe 15, 16, and, um, and my dad was never a, a deer hunter, but he, he just wanted to go with me because he, he knew I was excited about it, and, and that led to turkey hunting, 
and my dad actually started taking up turkey hunting later on in his life and he ended up getting a, a love for it like I did but um, just grew up uh, around the farm and around um, the outdoors and hunting and uh, you know it really started to become an addiction probably when I was in college I was actually playing uh, golf in college and I could care less about golf in college I wanted to get back and and bow hunt you know and my golf coach didn't like that at all but you, you know when you got a love for something you just can't you can't stop it and um right out of college i wanted to be in the outdoor industry and i actually uh, was a sales rep in the outdoor industry for probably eight years i guess um that those jobs took me out of state away from home which was hard and uh, uh here it's already been eight years ago i actually had an opportunity to buy out a business here locally and i you know it's um not what I thought I'd be doing, but it's it's fun owning a business, and I've always liked uh, a business, running a business, and uh, learned a lot uh, in the sales part of it, and um, took a lot of those things into owning a small business, and now I'm back in uh, in the in my hometown, and then three years ago I was able to buy um, a beautiful property that um, my wife and two girls we live on the property and. And, it's, and it provides great hunting, and um, it's been a dream come true. So, yeah. Thanks, Mike. So, um, and I guess me too. It sounds like a, a broken wheel here, but I, I too come from Hancock County uh, here in West Central Illinois. Um, I grew up, uh, always loved to fish. Um, had opportunity to fish uh, at my grandpa. Um, he lived on a, a small lake in northeast Missouri that I got to spend a lot of summers with him there. Um, always kind of had this passion that I wanted to go hunting as well. Um, I didn't have anybody in my family that hunted, didn't have any ground or access to hunt. Um, but I always remember when shotgun season would come along and, you know, opening day, half your class is gone or the ones that are there, they're showing up late in their orange or their camo. And, and I was just always envious of that and always wanted to do that. Um, never really had much of a chance to do it, um, all the way through school. And then, uh, Right after, right after school, I went off to college um, for a couple of years, got my degree in radio broadcasting, um, come back out of that and uh, did the radio thing for a little while, realized there's not uh, much money to be had in, in this kind of a market for it. Uh, got out of that and got into law enforcement, uh, and I've been in law enforcement for the last uh, 15 years almost. So um, that's my professional life. I guess when it comes to hunting, um, it's been an up and down road. Um, I was lucky enough to have some permission to hunt with some guys for a few years outside of college, um, did some shotgun hunting. Um, but you know, I never learned anything. I went, bought a gun, bought a tag. Um, they told me you can go sit here and wait for a deer to come by. I knew nothing about hunting. You know, looking back, it was a horrible way to go about it. I mean, I knew safety of handling a weapon and stuff like that, but I knew absolutely nothing about deer hunting other than what a deer looked like. Um, it killed a couple button bucks, I think, you know, those first few years. Uh, one of those was on a deer drive. You know, that was something that was really popular. I think they, they still do it a little bit now, but, um, you know, 15, 16 years ago, a lot of people were still deer driving. Um, so I did that for a little bit, got into bow hunting back then, bought an old, uh, Alpine bow from uh, D and E archery there in Carthage 
and and shot it no uh, no let off you know 100 percent pullback you know i think this bow was from like 91 or 1990 it was an old bow no, again no idea what i was doing no one had showed me anything i just went out and started shooting at an old styrofoam target so i did some quote-unquote bow hunting there for a while obviously had no success um and then uh I lost my permission ground to hunt uh, unexpectedly, uh, so the bow hunting kind of went by the wayside. And uh, a couple years later, my uncle bought a little piece of ground that I had a, a chance to shotgun hunt for a couple years. Then I kind of lost that for a short amount of time. And I had a couple seasons there where I had tags that I had to eat for the simple fact that I had nowhere to go. I didn't have one tree anywhere that I could just go sit. And I remember thinking if I could just have somewhere to go sit, I don't care if there's no deer around. I just want to feel like I'm hunting and that feeling of having nowhere to go that really started uh, lighting that fire in me to becoming a landowner. And, uh, so it went a few years there. I didn't deer hunt at all. Uh, that's kind of when I actually took up golf and did a lot of golfing. Um, spent a couple deer seasons, uh, at deer run golfing instead of in the deer woods. But, uh, <laughs> um, so I, I finally ended up uh, four years ago, had a chance to uh, buy a little farm, a little 35-acre farm with a house on it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that it's in a great neighborhood with uh, good neighbors, great genetics. It's got a lot of potential. Um, I've recently acquired access to the 44 that's next to me um, and uh, did a lot of improvements to the land, you know, that, that we're going to talk about in future episodes. But I feel that every year I'm getting closer and closer Um to uh to really getting it to where i want it to be so um but you know this podcast kind of come about uh from me i just had this idea a year and a half two years ago uh seeing what was happening with the podcast platform and the podcast media and i'm a student for everything you know i don't have a lot of experience i don't have a lot of knowledge um from my past so i'm trying to learn and uh i do a lot of research on anything that i get myself into probably too much to be honest with you and luckily these days with the internet there's a lot of information to be had out there and so with me having a broadcast background i love to listen to broadcasts and uh podcasts is one way to do that well for one there seem to be very few whitetail focused or midwest whitetail type focused podcast to listen to um you know there's a lot of content out there on uh hunting shows and stuff but um there was a few decent ones that i could listen to um but it got me thinking man i think i could probably find a way to pull this off but i knew that i couldn't do it on my own um i've got the ability to do the broadcasting to get us to this point but to be able to draw off of experience and you know years of mistakes and you know seeing things i just didn't have that so i needed some help um and then as the last several years have come about uh as you know the other guys kind of hit on uh tyler and i didn't know each other really uh, before me buying my farm uh i knew his dad Uh, his dad was also in law enforcement for a long time and uh, a very respected guy in our line of work in this area Um, so i've known him for several years um, then I bought my farm and I was talking to, to Walter Tyler's dad one day and saying, you know, just trying to get it figured out. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, kind of in over my head, I was remodeling the house at the time. So I didn't have a lot of time to put into it. And, and Walter said, well, Tyler used to kind of hunt that and, you know, had access to it. So you should give him a call sometime. So I decided to send him a Facebook message. Uh, Tyler called me back right away, offered to come out like that night, I think. And, uh, we went out, put some boots on the ground, walked the place, um, learned a lot, you know, I learned more in that 45 minutes than I could have on my own in probably a year. Um, 
So that kind of got me on the right path, and then we just kind of stayed in touch. Um, that next spring, uh, Tyler took me turkey hunting for the first time ever. Um, had a great experience there. Again, something that we're going to talk about on a future podcast. But uh, so from then, you know, from then on, Tyler's just become a very good friend, um, a good person to turn to for advice and guidance. Sometimes I feel like he maybe got me in a little over my head, but uh, when it's all said and done, I, I'm glad that he did. But um, and then with Louie, you know, Louie and I went to the same high school. Uh, you're a year older than I am. And, uh, you know, it's not necessarily that we weren't friends. Um, We just weren't friends, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of mutual friends, a small town. My class had 43 people in it, I think, you know. Uh, So we had small classes. And the one thing that I always remember about you is, is from a very early time, I mean, you were killing big deer. You were hunting big deer. Not many people were doing that. And I remember, you know, in the early 2000s at deer camp, you know, a lot of partying going on and, you know, having fun, which is what it was. But you were always one of those that you were going to put the time in. You know, there was still hunting to be had, and it wasn't just a party session. Um, and you seemed to be successful early on. And you didn't see a ton of that in the early 2000s. Um, well, I, I, I wish you were completely right on that. I mean, there was – there was. Uh, I wish I would have took it more serious. I, I remember screwing up a lot of, a lot of really big deer, you know, when you look back. You wish you would have done things a lot different, but I screwed up way more big deer than I ever killed. And uh, I still, I still think I have this thing where I, I shoot the, uh, I might shoot the older, the oldest deer, but normally he's not the biggest. Yeah. I always shoot them when they're on their way down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bad luck thing for me, but. You know, you, you always think, man, you know, they, they may just be a little bit bigger, you know, maybe not quite old enough, but. But, you know, in, in our and, – and as the, the listeners are going to learn as this goes on and, you know, they get to know us is it's not about score. I mean, we all we will talk plenty about score. You know, if I shoot a nice deer, I'm going to have it score just so I know. But it truly, honestly is, for me in particular, it's about age. I want to shoot a mature deer. I want to see him get as close as he can to reaching his potential. Um, I just think that's, that's a, a big part of it because, as we were talking about again off air um, – if if we were shooting three-year-old deer, I mean, even me on my small farm, you know, um, I've had three opportunities, you know, at, at three-year-old deer already and mm-hmm. six or seven sits. I mean, um, so to me, it's just, I don't know, that challenge and that mystique and just to hunt a mature animal. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's it's not about score. But, again, back then I just remembered that about you. And then so when I bought my farm, uh, you know, Tyler was helping me as well and – that first year or two, there were so many times I just about sent you a random Facebook message saying, Hey, can I get your opinion? Or would you come look at my place? And I just never did it. Um, and then I think it was probably kind of after you and Tyler kind of got hooked together. And then we, you know, we all started kind of talking and, um, uh, you still haven't come see my farm yet, but, uh, you know, (laughs) life just gets in the way, but Hancock County's big. Yes. It it is. You start, you start surrounding yourself with, I mean, that's what I did at a young age was I surrounded myself with guys that were shooting way bigger deer than me and then you know you learn you learn from guys like that you know my uncle uh, over in Iowa you know he's got you know giant deer on his wall and he got me started bow hunting and he you know you, you shoot a deer that you think's respectable and then you look at you know and then he comes out and helps you drag it out and and then, you know, he kind of says, yeah, you know, that's a, it's a good deer, but you know, it's a good one to start off with. And you kind of just work your way up and, um, learn from, 
um, you know, the guys that you always look up to and respect. And a lot of times, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, you know, I'm a big believer in it's age over score. It's not always about the score of the deer. And sometimes I think there's too many people that get too wrapped up into what that score is. You know, I mean, whether whether you're here in the Midwest or you're in the, you know, the Deep South or the East or wherever you're at, everything's relevant to the to the area. If you can shoot a mature deer, yeah, that you know, I, to to me, that's that's a, an accomplishment in its own that you've outwitted that that animal that's that's called that area home to him for how many years, and he's. You know, if he's a five or six year old deer, he has outwitted you for the five or six years that that he's been there. It just it just seems like recently it, it we all get hung up on age, and then yeah. ten years ago we were hung up on score. And I think maybe both of them maybe aren't completely good for the sport. No, I think, and I it, think I think it turns people off. And that's a when disclaimer you talk about score or yeah. age. Disclaimer you know? that I wanted to put off. You know, for this podcast is is you know we each have our own individual goals and um strategies for hunting however you know if we have a guy in here that his farm or his goals or whatever is his goal is to hunt a three-year-old deer or a two-year-old deer whatever his goals are as long as he is happy with his goals he's able to achieve his goals and you know um he enjoys the sport that's all i care about the only time that i i differ from that is is if i have this guy in here and i'm talking to him and he's complaining because he just can't ever kill anything over than a two and a half year old deer. But every year he's killing a two and a half year old deer. You know, that's when, I mean, if your goal is to kill an older deer, you have to be able to let those younger deer walk. Um, but I'm not going to look down on anybody that sets their goals for their own, you know, objective for their season. And that's what they go out to try to attain. Um, Shoot what makes you happy. Yes, w- without if a doubt. If that's your goals and you're happy with them. So be it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, that, that's uh, each is our own here. So, so yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's something I want people to know. I don't want people to think that we're only here to shoot, you know, 160, 180 inch deer. That's wow. not our ob- objective. We were looking at a deer that sh- Tyler shot last year, shotgun season. They score 130. Uh, yeah, I maybe mean, you know, old deer busted up a little bit, just an old mature deer, and didn't think twice about him. You know, you know, seen that deer come out, and that's a mature deer, and. And I knew what deer it was, and I was happy to take him. You know, and the, I mean, the prior year I shoot 181 inch deer. Yep. You know, and the next year I shoot 130. So right. I mean, it, it was a, it, it wasn't a score thing. It's an age it, thing. Knowing knowing that that deer was mature, and that I'd, you know, I mean, had had uh, outwitted him. So and and it's not your typical 130 inch deer. It's not your 130 inch you know, three-year-old. This is a 130-inch no. six-year-old that's got a lot of mass and, you know, short tines. And, you know, so he's a 130-old uh, deer, you know. Um, so you look at him and you think, man, that's a, a little deer. But he was mature and he was old. And that's, for us, that's how we get our, our satisfaction or our gratification out of our season. And, you know, and it's been tough for me. Um, you know, I'm sitting here at uh, the Sellins household and Tyler's parents, and uh, there's some very nice deer on the wall here in the basement and upstairs as well. And, uh, you know, myself, I have two deer on the wall. Uh, one that's only got half a rack, first mature, mature deer I ever seen in the timber. Didn't realize his right side was busted up, shot him. I mean, he's a 75, 80 inch deer. I mean, he's not much, but I was proud of him. I'm still proud of him. And that's why he's hanging up next to my first bow kill. Um, that happened, uh, the first full bow set I had on my property, which again, we'll get into in, in a future episode, but he's 150 inch deer, uh, just a nice wide, short 10 pointer, um, that I'm very proud of. But 
I haven't shot a buck in three years since then. October 9th, 2015 is the last buck that I've shot. It's so be- beginner's luck for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an understatement to to say the least. But uh, looks like you got some good ones this year, maybe to hunt. Yeah, you know, and and so over these last four years, I, I I've changed a lot on my farm. Um, I had about nine acres tillable that was always in cash rent. Um, a few years ago, Tyler tells me, man, you know, you should really look into doing some CRP, some bird buffer. You could put in food plots. And at this time, I had never touched a tractor, an implement, a PTO implement, um, had never grown so much as a tomato plant. I mean, nothing. I didn't know what I was doing. Well, well, and I mean, Mike, to, to my my, uh, my thought process on bringing this up to you was more of the aspect of knowing what you were getting for income off your nine acres, mm-hmm. knowing that you could probably – enroll some of those acres in the crp half your acres right and make the same amount of money and still have another what four acres now yeah one and half acres left yep. to do as food plots on a farm yep i mean you basically have 10 percent of your farm that it can be food right w- which is you know a lot of places is hard to do i mean 10 yeah. percent of, of any farm is no and and whether it's 40 acres or 400 i mean that's a lot of and there's a not a there's not a ton of food plots around there are some standing grains that's left you know some clover here and there but um, but at the time, you know, I, when he first brought it up, I'm like, there's no way, I don't know what I'm doing. That's a heck of an undertaking for me. Um, I kind of just brushed it off. And I think it was maybe the next year you brought it up again. We got talking about it again. And I'd had another hunting season that, you know, when you own a small track, it's a great neighborhood with great genetics and some good deer, but your window to get on them is pretty small because once the, the crops are gone, you know, there's a, a two or three week window where they have a reason to even come to your farm. Um, and once that's gone, that meaning the rut, you know, you still make catch a straggler here and there. But when you go out and sit and you're looking at, you know, nine acres of picked crop fields um, that have been picked clean by, you know, by shotgun season or second shotgun season, even first part of December, you're thinking, all right, well, this is going to be a long last month and a half, and it's a it's a part of the season that gets overlooked by a lot of people uh, because I think a lot of other people are in the same boat. When you lose that food, the deer, once the rut's over, the deer have to listen to their stomachs. They have to. Um, and a lot of people, if you don't have that food, you quit seeing deer on a regular basis in daylight. So I think I had another season that was kind of tough, you know, had a lot of action through the rut, uh, a lot of good sightings, a lot of good trail pictures. Um started realizing I'm going to have to do something different. Uh, so I kind of said, all right, I'll do it. As long as you say, you know, you'll help me and just kind of at least guide me through some of this, uh, went to get the process started and, uh, it took a little bit longer. We weren't able to get it through that first year. And then finally this year we were able to, uh, to get it ready. But, you know, in the meantime, I went out and bought a used tractor, a bunch of implements, um, essentially everything that I needed to, uh, to put in food plots. And, uh, um, we did it this year, and and had had great luck actually. You know, looking back, I, was, I don't know that I'd say we did it. Well, I I, did. I would say Mike that you've done ninety nine percent of it. I did. I ended I, up. I've probably been there on on the phone to uh, give some a lot some yep. guidance, advice, or anything like that. But you know, hands down, you've done everything that's out there. You know, and I did. I I I surprised myself. Like I said, I didn't even know how to operate a tractor, and so I did. You come out and help me get my bush hog hooked up the first time because I didn't know how to set up a bush hog yeah. or operate it or adjust it. You got and that then, planter. Yep. You know, I think I came out and, and uh, planted a few yep. first couple rows of beans. Got and me I said, going hey, with the planter. Looks good. The depth's good. And have at it. Yep. 
And, uh, you know, and so this year it was a lot of learning. I mean, you know, you'd done some food plots and stuff before, but not quite as big or as serious as we started to do them this year. And so we learned a lot together, um, you know, with uh, herbicides and, you know, uh, weed control and planting times and planting methods and fertilizer, just all sorts of stuff. We did a lot of talking, you know, just a lot of phone time, a lot of, you know, kicking ideas back and forth. You know, my plan has kind of been driven from uh, several different sources, you know, um, doing a cover crop program in my standing beans. It's kind of based off of what Grant Woods is doing with the Buffalo blend, you know, that type of a a system. Um, So, you know, I I look forward to getting to an episode where we're going to talk a lot about our food plots, our um, our CRP or, you know, our habitat improvement programs that we've got implemented on our farms or maybe the ones we're looking at. Like I said earlier, I was in the NRCS office today um, getting going with a forest management plan and going to look at maybe doing some TSI and uh, some invasive species control and, you know, a lot of topics that I think um, landowners and hunters in our area and in throughout the Midwest in general are facing the same things, you know, whether it be from invasives or, you know, um, needing to do some timber stain improvements to, you know, either help regeneration or help the, the mature trees that are there to flourish or to help, you know, your, your understory um, thrive. So, um, you know, we're going to have a lot of great topics to come. Um, so that's kind of where my farm is. Um, a lot of work has been done. Uh, did a dry dam waterway this year, you know, all my food plots. And, and I think that between the improvements I've done to the farm, to have, you know, four or five seasons of hunting it, um, learning about it, and then just my growth as a, a hunter, as an outdoorsman, as a woodsman, has has really grown you know, since I've got out there and started doing it. I feel that this year, you know, I, I'm I'm closer to you know getting on a deer and actually not just having it be total luck. A lot of it is a lot of it's going to be luck, you know. But they say luck is what when uh, preparation meets opportunity, you know. That's right. And 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 that's that's what I've been striving for. So, um, but I've I've said it many times, and I'll say it again, and I mean it wholeheartedly. My season has already been a success. Um, I've got almost five acres of food plots. You know, we opened up some power line stuff and um, threw some food out there that's kind of going. And my food plots have taken off. There's way more food than deer right now. You know, I'm sure come uh, mid-December and January, that'll that'll change. change. You know, um, all the beans around me are just now getting picked today. Um, So the food's going to be a lot less, and I think I'm going to see higher numbers in there. Um, But my season has been a success um, because it's not about the harvest for me. You know, uh, it just truly isn't. I would love to kill a, a nice mature deer this year, but if I don't, I'm fine. Whereas the last couple of years before I implemented this, I would get so frustrated. I would get down. I felt like I was at such a rush that I had to get a deer killed because if I don't get it done by the rut, I may not see another one. And now, you know, I just, I don't know what's going to show up. And my cameras have been showing that good deer showing up early in the season, right at, you know, legal light or sometimes, you know, in broad daylight. And I've got new stand placements. I just feel that I'm in a better position. Um, I'm hunting smarter, using the wind more, you know, kind of watching my scent a little bit, but really playing the wind, my entry and exit um, on a small farm with limited access. That's another tough thing that, you know, will be a great podcast uh, topic sometime is talking about getting in and out on on these farms. So um, I'm excited for this year. you know, and, and I still get excited for gun season too. I know some people say, you know, some, some bow hunters don't even gun hunt. 
but I do. I, I just, I, I don't know. I think it was all those years I never had a chance when I was younger. Um, I still do go to a little bit of a deer camp. You know, there's just a few of us anymore that show up. Um, it's kind of routed on down at this point. But I look forward to deer camp every year. Um, and I look forward to just getting out there and, you know, kind of having a little more of an equal playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, and having kids, you know, I got a three-year-old little boy at home. Um, and a year and a half old little girl and someday they're going to be coming out and I, I can't wait to take them bow hunting and gun hunting and, and pass those traditions on to them as well. So, um, so what about you, Lou? I mean, what all, what all you got going on down at your place? I know you've had some weather issues this year. Yeah, this is year three of the, of the farm that I purchased and Tyler was the, uh, he was the agent when I purchased it and, um, one I saw that, Louis fall in love. Yeah, one thing that day after day. I was familiar with the area um before I before I bought it and I knew it was a good area that had a lot of potential and I had knew a little bit about the property and then I walked it and I the first thing that comes to mind is just how much habitat and how thick it is, you know. I mean it's uh it's not a beautiful state park setting at all in the timber it's thick nasty which equates to uh, holding being able to hold a lot of deer and um, just a lot of a lot of bedding a lot of browse um, thermal cover there's cedar thickets you know which uh, you know i love in late season they just they stack up in those cedar thickets just to get away from the cold and the wind um and there's a giant field right in the center of the property um that i've utilized and put a lot of food in into and um access is pretty good um it, it just it's a it's a really cool place uh, the house is on the southern part of the property um so it just sets up great dead end road zero road access um it's just an awesome place but i'm on year three and every year you learn so much just about the property you know you think you know a lot about how you should go about things and then you just it takes a lot of different um times out in the field to see how the deer are going to move through it and um you know you move blinds it seems like a hundred times you move stands a hundred times you move your food plots and you start to get it i'm on year three so i'm starting to get it and i'm starting to um see the herd get back to where it maybe used to be 10 years ago that area got hit with the HD, like many of the areas around West Central Illinois, Southeast Iowa, Northeast Missouri. Um, so I'm starting to, you know, I've got a great crop of a nice three and four year old bucks. I wish I said, I wish I could say I had a lot of older five and six, seven year old deer. I just don't. I mean, it's just the reality. Um, but the old adage, you know, I ran into. Um, you know, we look up to a lot of guys in the industry, and a lot of them are TV personalities. And um, you know, I I really believe that most of those TV personalities are some of the best hunters in the world. And a guy I looked up to for a long time was Greg Ritz. I ran into Greg at uh, Farm and Home Store here locally, and you know, I his farm's not too far from us. And I told him, you know, I'm bought a farm and you know i followed his story because he bought a farm not too far away and he's like man you gotta you gotta give your farm four years before you can expect any results so i'm on year three year four is next year and it's proving to be accurate you know i've got several four-year-olds that are going to be nice five-year-olds next year so it's proven to be accurate 
uh, and hard work does pay off. It absolutely does. Um, you know, I've been out uh, maybe three or four times. It's October 20th, so it's kind of the slow period. A lot of people call it the lull. I'm not for sure if that really exists, but I all I've seen is just a lot of deer and a lot of one- and two-year-old bucks. I've not seen anything over. I Yeah, I guess me and Tyler, that first night we sat in the bank spine, we saw a three-year-old. Maybe three, he could have been two. Yeah, he was three year old. Um, I mean, he was a he was a solid deer, yeah. but he's he's gonna be a good one. Yeah, another year or two. We were just talking today that you know the we're on Instagram, Facebook, so we know when the guys are shooting big deer, and it's amazing every year. You know, Jury, the Lindsays, Winky, uh, Lakoski, Kiski, Jagger, they're always shooting good deer during the lull. Yep, what most people call it, and I, it's not. Um, they're not hunting this magical the place. Lulls, I mean, the they've got not great as... properties, but I think they just—it's a testament of how good they are at managing the places right. they hunt, and, and that, and that goes doing. a very long ways. And and I was just seeing an article somewhere. I didn't read it, but it was essentially debunking the October law. It was a GPS caller study that had been done in Wisconsin or somewhere up north, and you know, just tracking deer movement. And you know, obviously, I always kind of just believed in the law because you heard everybody talk about it. Um, what I have found in just my own experience these last few years of hunting hard is the cold fronts. You know, you get a cold sure. front to come through, and it really does get the deer moving. But as we talked about last night when I went out and sat this new this new stand, um, I hadn't hunted this part of the farm at all. And, again, getting smarter with how I hunted, um, putting a lot more thought into it. Um, I had noticed last year, especially during the rut, that there was this one spot where these deer were going in and out. It was kind of a low area. Um, and I figured, all right, next year I got to sit there. So I went and put a stand in and I just didn't have a good wind to hunt anywhere else. I've only got two stands and two blind locations. Banks blind locations is all I'm going to have. But, um, when you have a small farm, there's a big part of it. I can't safely get into and out of, I used to hunt it, but you just, if you would get in safe without bumping deer, you had to walk all the way across your open field or through the timber and the deer were always just too close. And personally, I don't want to bump deer. And I know that if it's not the deer you're hunting, it's not as big of a deal, but it's just a, a goal that I set to myself to try to get in and out without bumping deer. You know, I want them to feel as, as least pressured as possible. So this stand here, I went out and raked a hundred yard path all the way to it, um, cleared all the timber, raked all the leaves. Now granted the acorns and the leaves have started to fall. So some of them are there, but I can, I can get in it. I got in it. Great got in the stand and, you know, got the ozonics hung up and my bow hung up and um, everything set up. And then a deer jumped 15 yards in front of me, had been bedded. But I had gotten all of that done. And I don't know if, you know, maybe something clanked or just something spooked it. It didn't know what was going on. The wind was good. Um, so I'm like, all right, now I know I'm in the right spot. And throughout that evening, I, I ended up seeing, you know, three bucks, um, one three-year-old one that i think is probably four um but he's busted up on one side but he looks like you know he's got some some maturity to him but they were all in the timber and all eating acorns um and i could see a good chunk of my my big field which is in food plots uh clover standing beans um and then uh some some greens mixed in with the standing beans uh oats triticale and winter wheat and so there was green and grain out there and i didn't see a single deer out in that field last night um but i did see five deer two does three bucks inside the timber you know within 30 yards of me 
all eating acorns. Um, and it was October 18th. It wasn't even a cold front necessarily. I mean, it was high pressure, um, a decent wind, a high pressure, and still below average temperatures, but we've had some very cold weather. I think yesterday morning it was like 32 at 7 in the morning, and then it got up to 61 or 62 when I got to the stand. So um, if there was a lull, that would be the time. But the bucks were still moving, the deer were still moving. They have to eat. And from what I've gathered and, you know, trying to learn as much as I can, you know, it, the closer you can get to the bedding, you know, you're going to see the deer movement. They they have to eat every, what is it, three or four hours, I think. You know, they're, they're going to stand up and eat something. But if you're just hunting a destination food plot um, or destination food source, a big field or something, yeah, you're probably not going to see them in daylight because they're not going to be up super early if the weather's 60 degrees and sunny. Um but they're still going to move. So it just depends on, on where you're at. But, yeah, the, the whole October lull thing, you know, I think, yeah, the, the movement is different compared to what it was maybe in September. And it's also going to be different than what it is the first two weeks in November. Um, but they're still moving and they're still out there. And I still think if you have a good wind and you can get in there and hunt, man, just get out there and hunt if, if, if you can do it. So yeah, if you're trying to save brownie points with your wife or something, you know, yeah, maybe wait till November 15th instead of October 15th. Um, but if you have the opportunity, you know, get out there and you just never know. So the buck I killed in, uh, 2015 was October 9th. I mean, but a cold front had come through, um, went from like 80 to 60. And uh, I'll never forget the, the next year watching all the hunting shows, the amount of hunting shows where other people killed deer on October 9th that year before, because throughout the Midwest, a big cold front moved through and it had the deer up and moving. This was a deer I had never seen before and didn't have any pictures. And as you'll soon learn about me, I have a lot of trail cameras for a little bit of land. <laughs> you um, got one per acre or is uh, it three your... per th- one per three acres? Okay. Essentially. That's, what I, that's what I thought. You get um, a pretty good idea. What's yeah, out there. I do. I, and, I mean, you, you pretty much got them documented from the time they come on the farm. Hmm. To the time they yeah. leave the farm, you know, th- and this everything year, in between. This year, I, I've changed my my camera strategy a little bit. This year, you know, I've really focused them on the areas I'm going to be hunting because I've got two stand sites that I've never hunted before. Um, you know, one of them we we cleared out the the power lines and put a little food in there. So I thought I thought they were moving through there, but I wasn't sure. So once I s- figured out they are, and now I've got just separate angles. I mean, I've got within from my stand that I'm hunting uh, by that power line plot that I think is going to be my best chance this year. I have five cameras within 60 yards, probably Um, on just one opening. I've got three, but I got a couple just on some scrapes and I kind of got one showing, you know, the opening, but Mm -hmm. when I'm, I'm using them to learn the deer movement because there's only so many hours in a day. I can only hunt one spot. You know, I'm the only one hunting there. So um, I'm using them to kind of to scout for me a little bit too. And you know, the big part of the, the farm that I'm not hunting, I just don't have cameras in there. I used to run them, but then I would go walk through the timber and, uh, you know, usually kick up deer when I, when I did it. So, mm-hmm. um, now I'm just kind of, you know, you, you say the, the sanctuary thing and, and I don't know, I, I don't get into it that much because I use my farm. I'm out there. My yeah. scent's going to blow a little bit everywhere, but if there's a spot that I don't have to go into during deer season, I'm not going to go in there. I'll be in there in the spring to shed hunt, to mushroom hunt, to turkey hunt or whatever. Mm-hmm. During the summer, me and the kids may be out there messing around, but mm-hmm. you know, come uh, into August, first part of September, I try to just stay out of the places I don't need to be into um, if at all possible. So, well, and I think, uh, you know, when you talk about, when you talk about the using your farm, a lot of people are always paranoid about not using their farm. So everything, the pressure is relative to 
what you put on on a daily basis yep. and what the animals are used to. So if they're used to Mike, you know, you being out there every other day and you know you get out on the on the side by side of the tractor, you're not doing something. They're used to that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, if it's something that you don't touch your farm till October first, and all of a sudden, hey, you know, what's this tractor side by side doing out here? That's not normal to them. Right. So if they're used to that sort of a thing, that's that's going to help you in the yeah, long I run. Think so consistent pressure is 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 a good thing actually and i remember uh, when i was looking at the farm i ended up buying with tyler i think i i said the statement you know it'd be great to buy this farm and live on it but i'd have a hard time staying away from it and letting the deer be and yeah i think I you're, like, that. You're, you're like i don't think you need to do that i think you need to go out in there and do whatever you got to do and i think the deer are gonna eventually adapt to and, what you're doing and you know run your chainsaws and run your tractors and and uh get them conditioned and that's exactly what i've done i mean you know there's a you can buzz through the woods on your ranger your four-wheeler your tractor and you know a lot of people be like well there's no deer around here we don't see any deer running well there's the the deer in there they're just not getting up and running away because they just know you're coming i I did that the other day i was checking some stands and uh i went through the woods and i stopped and had a tree over a path, and I got the chainsaw out and cut the tree up. You know, I didn't cut it up, but I just, you know, cut a log out and uh, moved out the side, went on, and I come back. Where I'd just been not 15 minutes ago, but but uh, I took the alternate path up, and it's not 20 yards up, and I go up, and there's another log over, and I stop the, the side-by-side, and I look up, and, and there's three does that jump up. They're 30 yards in front of me. Mm-hmm. So they've watched everything I've done for the last hour. They didn't care. It was, it was normal to them, so... Yeah. That's uh, you know, I mean, I guess I always tell people, don't be afraid to use your farm. You, you know, they're they're going to get used to it and know what's normal. And if they hear you coming on a side by side or or a, a tractor, that's that's yeah. just the norm to them. So, well, you, you know, for a lot of us, um, th- I mean, this it's a big investment, and um, you know, I I don't, I'm not farm poor, I guess, where you know my family goes without because I I have hunting ground or you know uh, ground, but. You know, we did make sacrifices, you know, and same with Louie. I mean, our houses are smaller than what they were. If we just, you know, took money and bought somewhere in town, we could have a big giant house. Um, but we have nice a nice place to live. It, it gets by with, you know, with what's needed, and it's kind of that, that compromise. So, you know, I'm spending that kind of money on a farm. I'm going to use it. And with my kids, you know, I want them to enjoy it. I want them to go be able to go play in the creek. And, you know, my, my three-year-old boy, he loves going buggy rides. We've got an electric, you know, hunting buggy. And there's nothing more he loves than to go out and just ride. I let him drive it a little bit. And he just loves to look for deer, turkey. He's obsessed with turkey feathers. So anytime we see a turkey feather, we have to get it. Um, that's what it's worth to me. I mean, to me, that's more important than, you know, killing a, a six-year-old deer is just getting to spend time with my son in the outdoors. He wants nothing more than to be outside. He doesn't ever want to be inside. So um, I'm going to use my farm. And, you know, I've got a small food plot. Um, it's a small field that now half of it's CRP, half of it's a food plot. And all through the north side of it is real thick, you know, na- nasty invasives, essentially. But it's good doe bedding cover. And I've got this one doe. She's double throat patch deer. Uh, I've seen her every year. I just can't bring myself to shoot her. And she comes out there every single day and eats. And uh, into August, I was going out to fill up my bank's wild water. It, you know, they drank all the water out of it. So I had the tractor loaded up with a water tank. And I come pulling into that plot. And there she is with her two fawns. And they're standing 30 yards away. And here I come barreling in in the tractor, you know. 
and they just stood there and watched me and I pulled up to the wild water and I knew it once I got out of the tractor they would probably bust and I didn't really want that to happen so I just sat there and we just kind of looked at each other for several minutes and then they walked out into the the timber and I got out filled the water tank up and it takes two loads so I went back to the house got another load come back out and they're right back out there eating they see me coming you know we did the same you know the same routine again so they get used to that I mean this year I was out on the tractor a lot in the farm Um, so especially with the tractor for sure you know they they just kind of get used to it with the electric buggy I mean you can slip through a lot of places and they don't even know that you're there Um, but uh, but there's there really is something to that it's like what Tyler said it's their normal you know if, if their normal is seeing you out there on equipment or you know running a chainsaw or whatever they just kind of adapt to it a little bit Uh, and on my farm in particular I don't have a lot of mature buck bedding you know so most of the deer around me are you know doe family groups and stuff Mm -hmm. so most of the year I'm not worried about bumping them out they're going to come back you know um, and get used to it so well and we're lucky to to live on our properties you know whereas if somebody was from out of state or two or three hours away then they've got to take a different approach very much so They've got to be quiet, and they can't, you know. Because that's how that place is, 330 days a year, 50 days a year, you know. If the side-by-side comes rolling in on October 15th. They know it's hunting season now. It hasn't been there since since July 1st. Or maybe even since November 10th the last year. I mean, they start to realize, all right, I start hearing this sound, and all of a sudden, you know, there's human scent out here and, you know, someone hanging from the side of a tree. I mean, these animals figure it out. Yeah. Um, but if, if they're if they're used to it year round, I think you can get away with a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, and, and there's uh, I know Mike, you've got an electric uh, a little electric buggy, and Louie, you've got a a uh, just a gas side by side. I do yeah. as well, and you know I think there there's uh, each have their their uh-huh. uh, their place. I think if you're at across a, an open field, that that electric buggy it's great. If you're going off the timber a little bit, I think the the gas side of things is uh, warn them warn them that th- you're they know you're coming. Yes, they're aware of it. Your electric thing, I'm I'm probably guessing you probably bumped some deer from time to time that you've snuck up on. That's the I, I scare them usually, right. you know, right. and even with turkeys the same way. I mean, you get on top of them, they don't even know you're there, um, you know. And I bought the electric. I mean, I've got a gas powered four wheeler. Uh, I've got my tractor. Uh, I always kind of I looked into building one of these electric side by sides and uh, just happened to find one. It's a Stealth brand, you know, one of their originals. They went out of business and have since come back. But for the money I paid for it, it was in great shape. I bought it last December. It's been the best investment I've ever had. You know, it's narrow. It's four-wheel drive. But I have never needed the four-wheel drive, and I've taken it through some mud, some hills. It's unbelievable, you know, the amount of stuff you can get through on one of those. But I'm using it now to come in from the, the, the property to the east of me that I have access to now. I'm using to come through its big ag field and get pretty darn close to my stand. And I just kind of ditch it off um, in in the, the strip of timber between the power lines in this field. And it kind of blends in. And I slip in there, and then I just walk right to my stand. And no deer know that I'm there. And then in, of an evening when I get back to it, you know, I just take my time and drive the field edge all the way out, you know, all the way back around. And, you know, even if there's a deer out in that, that field – if it's dark enough, they're they're not going to know what's going on. I mean, you know, they may hear something moving, but it's not going to spook them. Um, yeah. So it, it works out very well for me. Now, it does have its limitations, but so far it's done everything that I needed it to um, for, for my application. So, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not scared to use the farm. Um, that's something else that you, we haven't really touched on much. You know, we talk about this is called the deer land podcast, but we are going to talk about everything. Um, I'm a little bit of a larger guy. I like to eat. So, uh, <laughs> I look forward to mushroom hunting. Uh, I look forward to squirrel hunting, turkey hunting. Um, and I, I've got probably two of the best turkey hunters in Hancock County, at least our age for sure, uh, on the podcast here with me. And I think Tyler in particular, I mean, you know, his passion for turkey hunting is, is second to none. And I have to admit that mine is, mine has ended up at the same place. I mean, I, I just love it. Uh, I'll sit out in the, of a woods, even last night, a hoot out took off and I just tensed up waiting on that gobble to come off or <laughs> I'll hear a train whistle across the river and just waiting on that to come off. And there's nothing better. And, uh, I love to eat them, love to chase them. You know, uh, I finally went out last year, got my first one on my own. Um, nothing more exhilarating than that. Um, so the best thing I ever did, Mike, was take you turkey hunting. Yeah, yeah. And, I and mean, the worst thing I ever did was take you turkey hunting. First, th- there's no doubt about it. You I, know, and, I, I and gave you a very unrealistic expectation as to what turkey hunting really yeah, was. My my first turkey hunting experience was very quick and very successful. And come year two, you, you, I were, asked, you were ready to hunt all week, and we had her done in what twenty minutes? It was fifteen, thirteen minutes. It was quick. It was very quick. Um, but uh, but so then the, the next year, I asked Tyler, "Do I really need to actually like take?" time off of work because last year I was at work by eight o'clock. I mean, you know, first (laughs) opening day. And, um, and then, so he made me go out on my own for that, that first season. And uh, I didn't, I didn't make, well, you you suggested, I I told you, I said, I tell you what, you go hunt, learn a little something on your own here a little bit, Mm -hmm. hunt four days. If you don't kill anything, I'll take you on the last day. And I still remember that, uh, that Thursday night phone call was, was uh mike on the other end of the line just just waiting yeah just waiting for me to ask that him. invitation I that run, invitation i was running out of time you want, i don't think i hardly got out of my mouth and i heard a yes so. yep and uh so it was uh it was quite an experience that's that's for sure but man i was i was hooked and you know so since then again i've really immersed myself in trying to learn as much as i can um you know i i do things a little bit different we have a little bit different styles of hunting i think um you know, I I feel sorry for your wife that she has to hunt with you because we <laughs> we do hunt a couple times together and and uh, it, it can become frustrating because you're very passionate about what what you're doing. I, I'm and, a run and gun kind of guy. Yeah, and you, I mean you get you get riled up in this this past year when you know we went out. We only went out a couple times and we got onto one. And I had been chasing these birds for five days and uh, I, I'm thankful now that I, I have enough land own ownership that I'm I qualify for landowner tags and. Um, so I was able to hunt quite a while and, uh, I'd been after these birds for four or five days in a row and just, they were a step ahead of me back and forth and we pretty much had them pegged and I had watched them walk out of the timber in a different spot enough that I knew where they were going to come down. So Tyler comes out to help and, uh, we meet up sure enough, it starts raining right before the sun's coming up. So we sat in your car and tried to decide if we were going to go out and the rain let up just enough about time it was time to start listening for gobbles and we heard him fire off and and i had an idea where he was so we got up into position and and he was he was working and we were going to try to get into the timber and cut the distance a little bit and we started to get in there and um tyler was saying you know get up and when uh, some more colorful words than that um but you know (laughs) get up here and i thought he meant stand up he said you know get up so i got up well he meant like get up here to me instead of standing up and then he was all fired up and i'm thinking 
you're this passionate. And I'm, it's, I'm the one going to be shooting the bird. You don't even have a mm-hmm. gun with him, you know, and he's that, that fired up. And, and, and we come close, and sure enough, I mean, that darn turkey – he was he was hinned up on another ridge. Was there another Jake with him too? I think um, a, across the way, and we didn't know what he was going to do. And then when he decided to come, he was coming in a hurry, and uh, he come out in the timber, the same spot I had seen him, and I knew I should have been further down that way, and I didn't do it. And he come out, then I could kind of see him, and Tyler wasn't seeing him, and we just didn't make it happen. But it was a fun hunt. It was you know it was just awesome. And that's the thing about turkey hunting is. Man, is it, if you can get on a bird, if you can get out there and just work a bird, there's nothing better. Even if you don't get one killed, to me, but it can become it can become a long season when you go out there and you're not hearing anything. That's you know? right. Yeah, so, the year, year before was a uh, pretty intense hunt too, if I remember. Yeah, just you know, get, just getting out and we had a we had a bird that stayed in the woods and uh, didn't want to cooperate too much. I think Dad was on one side of him, and you and I were on the other, and hit the ground in the woods and. You and I just kind of started after him, just pushing pushing the limits probably quite a bit. And when he committed, he committed, but he wasn't he probably wasn't fifty or sixty yards the whole time. And and uh, but just kind of the lay of the land, we had to uh, to push it. And when uh, we when, were when he committed, I knew he was coming. I told my guy, I said, "Get down and get your gun up." But I mean, it was literally just sitting in the middle of the woods and get your gun up, sitting was, in the wide open. And he you was know, fifteen yards coming in. And with me, I mean, I I, I look like a I look like a redwood tree out there, you know, in, in camouflage. And and that that turkey started coming. And we are we're kind of out in the open, on the ground. You know, we had bag of decoys. I mean, it, it was a rodeo for sure. And and luckily, I mean, the deer. I'm left handed, and that deer was coming in on my right hard. And turkey. Yeah, turkey sorry remember springtime <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm looking at this deer right in front of me yeah and uh so this turkey was coming to to my right and luckily there was a big old tree and as soon as he got behind that i was able to really get twisted around and and wasn't you know bad form on my gun and i shot and took a big chunk of meat out of my finger you know from the the, the <laughs> pump but you know it was able to to get the turkey down you know first shot and man it was I had to work for that one, you know. That was only my second turkey I'd ever killed, and uh, it really showed me a little bit more of what goes into it. And then by last year, I mean, I really knew what what it was like. I mean, of course, the one I killed was six days in. It was the opening day of second season, but I'd hunted all week, um, was close to him, and then and was finally able to make it happen and, and got one down on my own. And then that second one was a, a separate tag. It must have been like a fourth season tag, I guess, that I had um, last year when we – we come close on that one. So, Louie and I, we had a good turkey hunt last year. We did. Florida. We did. Yep. Yeah. I, 2018 I, was a great. It was good turkey in 2018. Year. It's, it was a great turkey hunt. I really wanted to go on that. And, you know, it was two days' notice, I think, uh, Tyler gives to, to make it happen. I just, you know, being the chief of police here and, you know, stuff going on, a young family, I just could not do it. And I knew I would regret it. And I'm hoping again, maybe someday, have a chance to go down there and do that. But, it did look like you guys had a heck of a time and cool um, dream come true to hunt those osceolas down there and, hunt a good osceolas trip. and get my grand slam and tyler was grateful enough to invite me and, and that's something that i think i think louie drove what you drove 90 percent of the way probably about an hour the, out yeah. of the 30 hour drive i drove about an hour <laughs> oh well, come on i <laughs> I slept, I slept, you know, most of it. Yeah. It was a perfect trip. It was a good time. But, you know, you're talking to the Grand Slam. I mean, that's something that I've set for myself, a goal for myself. I mean, and I don't have a lot of hunting goals as far as attaining certain things or, you know, wanting to kill a Boone and Crockett or anything like that. I mean, I hope to be able to have the opportunity to 
harvest mature deer, but I have set a goal. I do want to achieve the Grand Slam, you know, the mm-hmm. North American Grand Slam of turkey, and I, I've just kind of taken to turkey hunting that much yeah. um, that I think that's a, a feat for my lifetime that I would I would like to, yeah. to work towards, and it's very attainable. It's I a mean, realistic goal. Yeah, yeah it's, you know, yeah. the Osceola is the toughest one, uh-huh. and, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, I'll be afforded the chance to maybe go down there with them guys, you know, someday and, and get that one, but um, I, I do. I, I look forward to that, and just – to, to see how some of these other birds are. I mean, they say that, you know, the Eastern is one of the tougher ones to hunt. Hands uh, down. You know, I mean, I think they're the more pressured bird for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I love the look of the Miriams. I mean, I would love to have one of those uh, tail fans and wings on the wall. That's for sure. So, yeah. But, Louie, you've got your Grand Slam, don't you? I did. Yep. Yeah. I thought yep. you did. Do you, And you do too, right, Tyler? Yeah, I've killed uh, – I fought in a couple of them, actually. I mean, if you put them all together. Yeah. I, I would hands down say that the eastern is the hardest bird to kill. Can yeah. be the most stubborn bird to kill. Yeah. The uh, and they're the biggest too, days. right? I mean, you know, they're the biggest. Yeah, yeah way, the way the, the Osceola, in my opinion, is probably one of the more aggressive birds. Yeah, as they're far pretty as aggressive. Do full to, strut decoy. Full yeah. strut decoy. I mean, it's it's uh, you about know, every time it seems like it. Yeah, I mean, it's practically. I want to say every time, but practically every time if you show them a decoy, you can know within. It probably matter about five or ten seconds if he's going to commit to it and just if he's interested or not. But the, you know the the Rios they're they're ones that are they're goblin fools in my opinion. They're yeah. just uh, turkey hunting just brings you know there's just it's laid back you know it's your buddies there's camaraderie it's cutting up it's you know you don't have to worry so much about your clothes and your scent and your in your locations where you're hunting and. There's well, more, and there's more accessibility to kill a turkey. And as we talked about, too, you know, the last 10 or 15 years with deer hunting, first everyone being stuck on score and then on age with turkey. I mean, you know, yeah. most of us are killing two-and-a-half-year-old birds, and we don't care if it's a long beard. You know, yeah. some people even it's if a it's a jake, you know, yeah. I mean, um, they're going to they're gonna kill the turkey. And I think that's part of it as well. The, there's just less stress on yourself or less pressure on yourself. And and I also think part of it, too, is is – there's less people that are doing it. And I mean, it's not as simple as, you know, not that deer hunting is simple, but to feel like you're in it, all you essentially need to do is grab a weapon, get a tag and a license and go out somewhere in the woods or on a field edge. And there's a somewhat reasonable expectation that you may have an opportunity at a point to Mm -hmm. to kill a deer or to shoot at a deer with turkey hunting. It's not that easy. I mean, you have to learn to call and learn how to move. And, you know, I have zero ability to use a diaphragm call, but I've gotten pretty darn good with a, a Lynch foolproof box call um, mm-hmm. and then uh, working a little bit on uh, on a slate call. And I do use a push-pull um, box uh, yeah. uh, hurricane, I think it is, that I can use if the, the turkey is close. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can just, you know, have one hand down um, instead of being able to use the diaphragm. But uh, So I just figured if I can figure it out and get to the point where I can get myself on a turkey and get one killed, then I think anybody could if they put the time into it. Um, but you know, it's not that it's something that everybody does. So I think that's something else that makes it a little more enjoyable. Yeah, a little, so. Probably a little bit easier to get permission to hunt places. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So, uh, so yeah, so that's our, our second passion. And I, I think, you know, when uh, springtime comes around, you're going to hear a lot of our conversations transitioning to turkey hunting. But even then, I think we're going to have a lot of, uh, food plot topics, uh, that we'll be talking about because, uh, you know, come April, uh, we'll be getting ready to, you know, get beans in the ground before too awful long um you gonna do corn next year louis yeah you know i think if i do do corn it's gonna be um 
it's going to be a little bit further off the edge of the bedding, and it's going to be a little bit more. I've just found out, uh, you know, to keep the coons and the and the deer out of it enough to make a pretty good yield. Um, it's tough. I mean, yeah. they just devour it. Um, not, not a yield to take to the elevator, but just a yield, a yield just for, for food to be left for deer. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I've got a little bit left, but uh, for the input cost and time that goes into it, I mean, it's it's expensive. It's, it's an sell. expensive food it plot. Is. Yeah, and, and I and I, I've considered it. You know, Tyler and I talked about it. Maybe next year doing a, just a little half acre and hot zone fencing it or something. But you know, that's you're gonna have to do something different to keep the coons out of it. And I have a bumper soon, crop of coons too. As soon as those soybeans start to get yellow. You know, they switch from soybeans to to corn. Right. I mean, they just devour the corn. Huh. Um, but you know, it's hard to beat the attractability of corn. If you've I mean, got it, I mean, it's it is tough to beat. Yep. And and now I think uh, you're able to mow it, uh, whereas in years past you weren't allowed to mow it. Right. Um, so that you know adds in another factor, especially if you have a decent plot size plot, yep. you can mow paths or trails through mow it some or lanes through it. Yep, and yep. then uh, you know keep some standing, and then you know maybe late season just get it all on the ground at that mm-hmm. point. Um, so. So I don't know. I I don't think I'm probably going to do it uh, next year. You know, we'll see when we get a little bit closer. But that's su- stuff we'll talk about uh, in April. Yeah, Tyler's over there shaking his head that I am. So uh, you, you need to put some corn in. It's fun to plant corn. Yeah, you feel like you're doing something. When, when that like... anhydrous toolbar is close by, and well, that's it, it's the just thing. one field away. Yeah, it, it's going to take a little help from you know some former you know uh, farmers and some neighbors and you know good people that I'm sure would help me out. But that little um, back acre and a half needs to go to some corn. I think. Something you know so we'll we'll see you know uh, that's something we'll talk about i guess as as the months go on but you know i'm telling you so far i'm happy with the the clover and the standing beans uh, that are interceded with some greens and i do have a little bit of brassicas um it's always been hit or miss in our area from what i've heard with brassicas but i also believe that if if you provide them for you know two or three years that they will get liking them and i was just watching a doe the other day eat a big leaf of a brassica the size of her head mm-hmm. and she's trying to eat it in one bite and you know throwing it up in the air and i mean she was eating it mm-hmm. um so you know i'll probably continue to experiment a little bit with some brassicas as well just i think from learn. uh you know i mean i found some farms that they uh you know you plant brassicas in the initial year they absolutely devour them and they do it year after year and other farms you plant them and it takes them you know two three four years before they really acquire a taste for them or realize that it's a, a, a viable food source for them to eat. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, don't, I don't know rhyme or reason why they do that, but that that's just been my experience through, through some various farms and stuff. And I know we've got some, uh, you know, oats and, and uh, turnips and stuff on this year on our place and they, they seem to be hitting it hard. So, I mean, it's, and maybe yep. not years past, they haven't maybe as much, but we'll, uh, we'll see how they uh, finish out. Yep. So, so that's something to look forward to, you know, as, uh, as bow season goes along this fall, we're going to bring you kind of along with, uh, with what we're seeing, you know, we're going to try to get these podcasts out as, as semi live as we can. Um, so that, you know, you're hearing how things are going for us and, you know, we'll just bring you along for our seasons, uh, throughout this fall. Uh, but you know, this podcast, we also want to hit on a lot of land management, you know, food plotting, how we do things, you know, we all do things a little bit different. We have different equipment, um, that we have access to that we're going to utilize. Um, we've tried certain things that work, certain things that didn't work. Uh, we want to talk about all of that as well. Uh, you know, we'll do a lot of talking about CRP and, uh, the equip program 
examine uh, just different programs through the FSA and the NRCS office, things that may be out there. Um, you know, we're going to talk about buying and selling land and owning land and uh, just all sorts of different topics. So um, I really do think that uh, this is something that uh, a lot of people would enjoy listening to, and that's our hope. So that's why we're here. Um, you know, we hope to, you know, bring on some guests at some point too. Uh, to talk about, you know, a, a very, you know, myriad of topics. So um, we hope you'll continue to check us out. Uh, you can also check us out uh, on the internet. Uh, we do have a website. It is deerlandpodcast.com. Um, social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, just check out Deerland Podcast and, uh, and we're on there. So uh, there's ways to contact us, you know, reach out to us on a private message or send us an email off from the website with any comments or, you know, suggestions of topics you'd like to hear us talk about, maybe guests that you would like to have on, uh, or just let us know what you think of how we're doing. We would love to hear the feedback. You know, this is something that is new for all of us. Um, this first one is probably going to be a little rough. I hope we look back on episode 100 and we, we sit back in this first one, you know, kind of chuckle about how it sounded or, you know, how we did things. But, you know, we're going to try to do our best um, to provide you with an entertaining yet informative uh, podcast on, you know, the outdoors hunting um, and just land management in general as well. So is there anything else you guys want to touch on before we get out of here? Um, you know, this first this first episode, we just kind of wanted to be uh, an introduction to who we are um, and what we were hoping to bring to you guys. Um, so, you know, we did kind of get off on some tangents uh, here and there, but you're going to have that with us. I mean, this is not something that is totally – absolutely structured um you know we're three guys that are like-minded that are friends that love talking about this stuff um you know we're not in this for any other reason other than we love this and that we feel that you know maybe somebody else can learn something from what we have to say but we're also hoping that we can learn something too whether it be from one of our listeners or maybe one of the guests that we bring on sometime down the road and uh we're always trying to learn new things new ways um you know, none of us are stuck in our, our ways and, you know, we're always open-minded about learning new things and, and how to do things. And that's going to do it for episode number one of the Deerland podcast. We do appreciate you listening. We would love to hear back from you. Please feel free to reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deerland podcast. Also check us out on our website, deerlandpodcast.com.